Lord, just for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. God, it's just, Lord, you know the valleys, you know the dark times. Lord, I, I thank you for holding us up when we can't stand up. I thank you for going before us and clearing the path, Lord, and, and for making a way when we can't even walk, God, how you carry us, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for kindness, God. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for your people, God. Lord, I ask you to be here with us tonight, Father. I pray you'd be in the midst. God, I pray you'd take your word and teach it to us. I pray you'd give each one of us a little nugget, something to help us, God, something to make us stronger, something to help us know more about you, something we walk out of this door and be a better servant for you. God, we take each of these prayer requests and we lift them up to you, God. I ask you, Father, if you would, just meet each and every need. Touch all of them in their place, God. Above all, may we be pleasing to you in everything we do. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a first time for everything. That's the first time I ever stood here praying when my phone was ringing in my pocket. That's why I don't bring them. And it's my son of all people. That makes me a little nervous, but I'm not going to call him back. He knows not to be calling me right now. We, that's why I never bring a phone up here except for Wednesday nights. I need it for my prayer list. Um, <clears throat> so if you want to turn back your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 9, we'll continue with our study right there. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume all that's good. That's going to have me minorly distracted for a minute, but that's all right. I may have a grand young when I get through here tonight. <laughs> no, it's all right. He may want to talk about work, and that would make it even worse for me. It'll, 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 be all, it'll be all right. I promise you, there ain't one thing I can do any different than be right here doing what the Lord's called me to do. It's the best thing I can do. So whatever's going on up there, it'll all be fine. I know who holds it. Um, so we, we were at chapter 9. If you remember in Acts chapter 7, we saw that the deacons were appointed, and we saw Stephen appointed, and Stephen became the first martyr of the church. And then in chapter 8, in spite of all the persecution that was going on, we saw Philip, another one of the deacons. Philip comes in, and he becomes the first missionary of the church. And then here in Acts chapter 9, we met a man by the name of Saul. We actually didn't meet him there. We had met Saul earlier when he stoned Stephen. But we saw the conversion of Saul the one who was persecuting the church. But God said of Saul, he is a chosen vessel of mine. I just want to glance at that just for a minute because God chose a murderer. God chose a persecutor of the church, the one who led the charge to stone Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church. God chose to use Saul, sent him to places that even the apostles had not gone. Saul's testimony and what we see that God has done through Saul ought to be an eye-opener for anybody that believes that what they've done is unforgivable. Anybody ever try to witness to somebody and they talk about, you just don't know what I've done? My answer is the same. I don't care what you've done. You didn't know worse than what I've done. Sin is sin. Sin is separation from God. It doesn't matter, but if God could... could could choose a man like Saul. I mean, think about Peter. Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus Christ was. When he's there at the cross, he says, I know not this man. But yet Jesus said that this is the rock upon which I'll build my church. Jesus came back and gave him the commission to take care of my sheep, feed my flock. You, you think about Abraham. Abraham went ahead of God, used Hagar, a handmaid, uh, of his wife to, to have an illegitimate son. He lied about his wife twice to kings to cause problems, but yet the Bible says he's a friend of God. 
David is an adulterer. David is a murderer. But yet the Word of God says that, that he is a man after God's own heart. And here in the Acts of the Apostles, we have this man named Saul who murdered one of the first deacons of the church and was on a mission to imprison or kill as many Christians as he could. And God said, he is a chosen vessel of mine. I'm just telling you, there is nothing in your life that God can't forgive, and there is nothing in your life that you can't do if God calls you to do it. People say, well, I'm not qualified. Well, praise God, you're right, we're not. We're not qualified to preach. We're not qualified to teach. We're not qualified to hold this book. We're not qualified to turn the blessed pages. We're not qualified to walk in the throne room of the Almighty. We're not qualified to go into the throne room of grace and obtain mercy, except that God said through the blood of Jesus Christ, I qualified you. You are redeemed of the Lamb of God, and, and God made us qualified to be what we can't be. And if he can use these men to do these things, it is the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sin. It is the power of God that calls us into the ministry, but it is the Holy Spirit that guides us through the ministry and uses us to do his work. Is God awesome or what? So, so Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we saw that there was peace for a season. It says that the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee, Samaria, and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Verse 32, we move back to Peter. We, come, we cycle back around to the apostle Peter, the, the one who preached on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came and 3,000 souls were added to the church. In verse 32, it came to pass. As Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Little. If we could put that map back up, Miss Frieda's got it. We're just kind of seeing. I noticed on this, there's, there's some different spellings. I think this one says Lod is about where Little ought to be, if you ought to see. But there's some things that you can see. You see Jerusalem down to the bottom right. I just wanted to kind of be able to see it because you see the road to Emmaus. Probably that to the right is considered to be more about where Emmaus was. But you see how when, when the Christians were being persecuted at Jerusalem and they fled to Emmaus, and then that's where the apostle Paul was headed when Jesus met him on the road to Emmaus. And then beyond that is the city of Lydda. And then up there is actually Joppa. Up there it says Joppa with an F. But it gives you an idea of what we're talking about. Philip has gone to Samaria. If you look a little further up to the regions of Samaria, he's gone all the way up into Samaria. And remember, that's the regions where the Jews won't go. And he's gone all the way up into Samaria, and he's preaching. And then he's gone south on the road toward Gaza. He has preached to the Ethiopian. But, but here, here in this part of the Acts of the Apostles, the door is about to be officially opened to the Gentile world to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, it said that the church was added to daily. But in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 9, we see that the church was multiplied. It's not like it, it is today. Most of us that go to church here, we drove past a dozen churches to get here. People that go to other churches drove past here to get to theirs. I mean, you drive past churches on every corner. Not true in that day. There would have probably been one church in every city. So it's likely that there would have been some large congregations. I'm pretty sure in that day it would have been a big thing to have had a man like Peter or John come and speak at your church. I mean, that's one of the apostles, one of the ones that walked with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. It would have been a big deal to have one of these guys come and preach at your church. Well, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that it looks like the apostles 
haven't really branched out from Jerusalem. They're all still there at the church in Jerusalem. But here Peter begins to move out. He begins to spread the gospel to carry it out. And it's likely that, that Lydda, as you can see, there's one of the places that when the persecution began at Jerusalem, the Christians fled. Some of them probably even had fled to Emmaus. You know, we talked about it, I'm sure, when they heard Saul was coming. They probably fled from there, so the church at Lydda, at Lydda probably got bigger because some people fled from Emmaus still trying to get away from the persecution. So there's probably a pretty large gathering of Christians here in this town. No doubt that Saul has been and preached in some of these towns ahead of time. He's, he's spread the good news. But Peter comes down and says to the saints that, that dwelt at Lydda, and there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. So what we have here is a man who used to be healthy, used to work, used to be able to walk about. And now because of this palsy, this sickness, for eight years he has been bedridden, which means he couldn't work. So for eight years by now poverty has set in. For eight years he's in a position where somebody else would have to take care of him at all times. After eight years, doctors would have given up on him. There's no hope. There's nothing, nothing else that they can do. There's actually no hope in this man's mind that things could ever return to normal. I don't think the question why is new to the 20th century. I don't, I don't think the thought process of the human mind like, why me, is something that we've come up with in the last 25 or 30 years. I, I don't think things like depression just came about because of the modern day era. I think mankind has dealt with those same kind of things ever since the sin in the garden, right? Those are things that have always plagued people and pulled, pulled people back down. If you remember in Acts chapter 3, as Peter and John was going into the temple at the hour of prayer, and the man sat at the gate of the temple called Butel, Beautiful, and he asked for alms, and Peter, silver and gold, have a none, touch the have a given to thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, and I just rise up and walk. That man asked Peter and John for something. This man here asked for nothing. The, the Bible says that Peter found Aeneas. The Greek word used here simply means that he saw a man who was lame, and in the name of Jesus, he healed him. Verse number 35 says, All that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. See, that's important to me. It's important to understand that this miracle, the miracle is not the end within itself. The miracle is not even the focal point of the story. The miracle is the drawing point. The miracle is the beginning. It was done so that the gospel might be spread. The Bible says that people came from everywhere in the region when they heard it, and many souls were saved. The miracle was for the purpose of drawing people's attention for the door of opportunity to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Same thing is true in our life. Same thing happens to us every day. Things happen in our lives, and we tend to focus on that thing, not realizing that that's not really the thing. That's just the draw. Whether it be good or bad, sometimes bad things have to happen for people to see Christ in you. You don't like that, do you? Sometimes people can't see Christ in you until you've walked through a storm with a smile on your face, and they have no reason to explain it except God held you up. 
So things happen in our lives, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Many times it's not the event that, that really is what the focal point is on, but it's how people are drawn to God through the event. That's what we see here in this miracle. People are drawn to God because of this miracle that was done. We just see the immediate. We just see what's happening right now. But what we don't see is the effect of what God is doing through the things that we're going through and the people that will be affected on the outside when we just stand and, and glorify God, no matter what our situation holds, no matter what's going on in our lives, stand and give glory to God. We have no idea the ripple effect of what God is doing even into the lost world. Verse number 36 says there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. The map, the map back up there? Put the map back up there. Where did our map go? So they actually called it Joppa with A's on here. The, the lod right there would have been Lydda. Not, not really sure why, why they're worded different on this map, but it's okay. Just trust me. Lod right there would be Lydda just past Emmaus. And then Joppa is actually Joppa. Anybody ever heard of Joppa before? Maybe yes, sort of, kind of. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Joppa is a very famous port city. And, and so the, this, this Tabitha is there at this port city. This would have been a very big city, a very Busy city, being a port city. So, so this, this is a woman with great opportunity. Probably a lot of poor people around being a, on a coastal area. And here at Joppa, we, we have another local church. And what we see is that one of its most devoted members has died. Tabitha. Dorcas. The name means gazelle. Gazelle being a, a graceful animal. So we have this woman here is a very gracious woman. She's filled with compassion for the poor. The Bible says that she's full of good works. Remember what Paul said to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath, hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Good works are not for our salvation. They are a result of our salvation. We don't do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are saved. We don't do good works to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We do good works because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Good works are an essential part of Christianity. <clears throat> If we are truly saved, then we're going to have compassion for the ones who aren't. I'm, 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 I'm doing my best to ask the Lord to help me to separate bitterness of, of the things that, that I see on TV. You, you, you're trying to watch. You can't even watch a decent show because of the indecent commercials. You can't watch something decent because... You can't skip the news because they're going to plug in what they're going to talk about on the news tonight. And it's always going to be the most pathetic thing they plan to talk about tonight. And I see all this junk going on where they're talking about it ought to be legal to murder these babies. 
and, and sorry, but I see lesbians, queers, homosexuals up there parading for abortion like you got anything to do with it. And, and I get so frustrated with them. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I have to love them. It's their sin I have to hate. It's not the person. I've got to learn to focus, to focus my, my, my frustrations on, on the devil that's causing that in them, but not on people. If we truly are children of God, we've got to love the sinner of such were some of ye. It was at our worst time when Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if we truly are children of God, we, we've got to, to love the lost because that, that's, that's what we're here for. We, we ought to love each other. Bible, the Bible says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. We've got to love one another, but, but we've got to love the world if we're going to reach the world. Amen? So, so what we see here is that Dorcas has compassion for the sick. She has compassion for the poor. She has compassion for the weak, for those in need. And, and she, she has a heart to help those that, that were afflicted. And here in the text, she's died. Now, you can see from all the Old Testament, the Jews have great respect for the body of the deceased. We, we see that in all the Scripture, that they would wash the bodies, prepare them, put the ointments. They did, they did a lot. They went to a great effort to take care of the body of the deceased. But after this body was washed and prepared for burial, they sent for Peter. Verse number 38, for as much as little was nigh unto Joppa. So it's about 10 miles. You can't really tell it from there, but it's about 10 miles. Why are you turning that off? <laughs> it's about 10 miles between the two cities. So about 10 miles away, they've heard that Peter's down there. Little was nigh unto Joppa. And the disciples heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. I'm just curious. Why would they have sent for Peter? I mean, obviously, they've heard that he's left Jerusalem. They've heard that he's just right down the road at, at Lydda. But what good is it going to do to have Peter hurry up and get him? I understand the need to hurry if you still got the body out of the ground. With, with the heat of the region there, they couldn't have kept the body out of the tomb for very long. I understand the need to hurry. But I don't really understand why you send for Peter. I mean, Maybe because Dorcas was such a great saint there in the church. Maybe they thought it was only fitting that someone like Peter would come and, and preach at her funeral. Maybe it was Dorcas's desire to one day meet someone like Peter and John who had walked with Jesus three and a half years. Maybe it was a desire that she had. or It might even be possible. I don't know, but I guess it's possible that someone there heard what Peter did for Aeneas and had enough faith to think, I wonder what Peter might could do here. I wonder if he could change the situation here. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they sent two men, which would have been the custom. They always sent two traveling together because of thieves and robbers along the trails and those things. So custom, they sent two men. Peter arose, went with them. When he was come, verse number 39, they brought him into the upper chamber. All the widows stood by him weeping, showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made, while she was with them. We can only imagine the feeling in the room when somebody like Peter walked in. I'm, I'm sure there was probably an, an awe of, of some of the people that came in, but, but I would think there would be some excitement that one of the original apostles was there in the house. There's obviously, according to that text, there's, 
There's a lot of tears there. It says there's weeping, there's, there's sorrow, they're showing Peter all the things that, that she's made for them, which tells me there's a lot of poor people here because she made things for the needy. She made things for the poor. So you have a lot of poor people gathering. They're showing the things. So Peter couldn't have been helped but to be moved by the tears. He couldn't have been helped but to, but to be moved by seeing all the things that this woman had done and all the people that she had blessed and what a blessing that, that she was. So he puts everybody out of the room. Verse number 40, put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand, and he lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. I wonder where he learned how to do that. He learned it from Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus came to the ruler's house, we do it in the Easter play, Saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. He said to them, Give place, for the maid is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. Mark chapter 5, while he yet spake, there came the ruler of the synagogue's house. A certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. He suffered no man to follow him save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So Peter is one of only three men to actually go witness this event. Mark 5, verse 40, they laughed him to scorn, but when he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and he entered in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand, said to her, Talithi Kamai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Peter simply does exactly what Jesus taught him to do. He put everybody out, and then he prayed. He took her by the hand exactly as Jesus taught him. I couldn't help but wonder this. What in the world did he pray? What kind of prayer touches heaven to send back the dead? That's a pretty awesome prayer, isn't it? So I had to think back because I had to remember who it was that was praying. Peter's one of the original 12. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about apostolic power and, and how it died out with the apostles. People call themselves apostles and talk about apostolic power. Stay away from them. The apostles were the apostles. The apostles died when the apostles died. They do not have the apostolic power that these men had. Matthew chapter 10, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into the city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus did not take that power back. The apostles were given that power, and now they've been sent past the, the lost house of the sheep of Israel, into the Gentile nation. And they still have that same power, not for the apostles to show off, not for the apostles to make a name for themselves, but that, so that they might do miracles that would draw people's attention so that souls might be saved. Verse 42 says, It was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. You saw the miracle at Lydda, and because of the miracle, 
Many believed in the Lord. They called Peter up to Joppa. He did the miracle. Because of the miracle, many people believe in the Lord. It's no different than the, the man at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. Because of that miracle, many believe in the Lord. I know you say, well, this one's raising people from the dead. A miracle is a miracle. A miracle is a miracle. And a miracle cannot be explained but God. There, there's only two words that change anything, but God. The doctor said, but God. They, they were down to the last day, but God. We were about to be evicted from our home, but God. You can't explain a miracle except for two words, there but God. When God shows up, things change, amen? So, so the purpose of the miracles is the conversion of the people. But then we begin to see a change in Peter himself. The next verse says that Peter stayed here at Joppa for several days. It came to pass. He tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Now, we have to remember the law, Judaism, all, all that Peter comes from. Remember the Jewish tradition, the Old Testament law, all the covenant, all this there. Remember, a priest couldn't touch anything dead, right? Now, not only that, but a person could not touch a dead body of any kind or say they were ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. I'm having enough trouble talking with my voice without trying to get out these big words. i got to stay redneck. Ceremonial, ceremonially, thank you, unclean if they touched anything dead. But yet Peter goes to stay with a man who by trade touches dead animals, skins them out, prepares or tans their, their hide. So, so what we see is that something is changing in Peter or there's no way he would stay at this man's house. He is understanding the difference between law and grace, judgment and mercy, Old Testament new blood. Amen? He, he, he is coming around full circle. So in chapter 10, while he's staying at the house of the tanner, we see the door of salvation here. And, and I'm not really, we're, we're going to have a we're going to have a few minutes left, but I'm not going to have enough to really get into where I want to go. So I'm probably going to save some of this for next week. But we'll go ahead and open chapter 10. <coughs> this is where the door is formally opened to the Gentiles. It says that there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. See, I, I think all of this is important. Remember God sent Philip to Samaria to preach, right? So Philip was the first evangelist, and he was the first one to go into the, well, semi-Gentiles, to go into the Samaritans and preach. And, and then he sent him down the road to the south toward Gaza to the eunuch, who is clearly a Gentile, right? And he sends him to this Gentile, and, and he picks up there as, they, as he's riding, reading, reading in the chariot and riding in the prophet Isaiah, and he explains to him, and he tells him about Jesus, and he baptizes and, and then he goes up to Joppa, and he preaches there at Joppa, and, and then he works his way up the coast to Caesarea, right? And then we talked about it, that obviously that's where he got married. He settled down, and he lived there, because we find 20 years later that the Apostle Paul comes back around and stays at Philip's house at Caesarea, so he lives there. Philip is the evangelist living in this town. Y'all with me? 
Everybody still with me? There's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. We'll, we'll get into the story more in chapter 10. But, but this story, this story to me, this, this isn't about Cornelius. I believe this story is about Peter. See, Philip, Philip is already an evangelist. Philip already understands that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for the Jew and Gentile alike. He's already preaching the gospel to everybody. Peter doesn't have all that worked out. We're, we'll get to that next week. Remember about the cloths and put it down, and he tells him to kill and eat. And not so, Lord, for I've never killed anything clean. And God is teaching Peter, what I have called clean, call thou not unclean, right? If this was about Cornelius, wouldn't God have just sent Philip over to his house? Or maybe sent Cornelius to Philip's house? Because they're already there. But he's got Peter staying at Simon the Tanner's house. And it's Peter that God has the conversation with about, hey, if I call it clean, don't call it unclean. And then he goes over here and tells Cornelius that you need to send some man down to Simon the Tanner's house to a man named Peter. The reason that's important, the reason I think that's important, is because everything in this is I see that God is doing a work in Peter. Y'all ain't caught up with me yet. Peter is the one that stood at the gate of the temple and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I given in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the man got up and walked. Peter is the one who went to Aeneas, saw a man that was lame, and went and said, I say unto thee, arise. And he got up and walked. Peter is the one who went up to Joppa, walked into Tabitha's room, put everybody else, prayed, took her by the hand, and raised her up alive. And God's still having to do a work on Peter. See, too many times, Christians in today's world, we think we've arrived. I mean, we're at church every Sunday. You're at church on Wednesday night. You're doing a great job. You're doing your Bible studies. We ain't arrived nothing. We are a work in progress. I mean, my next mistake is one breath away. And, and if God is still having to work on Peter, how much work is left to be done in somebody like me? There's a reason we need to get up every single morning, open this book, and read this book. Because this is God's love letter to us. This is God's word to us. You want to know what God wants you to do? You ain't got to pray and ask him. He done wrote it down. You know, I talked about it Sunday. If you don't have an assignment, you don't know what God wants you to do next, go back to the last thing you know God told you to do and stay there until he tells you to do something different. Just keep doing what God gave you to do. But here's what you know to do. Get up in the morning and read this book. Get up in the morning and pray. Tonight before you go to bed, pray. Open up that prayer list of people that are sick. Pray for the sick that are among you. Pray for the afflicted. Pray for the lost. Pray for your enemy, those that despitefully use you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. If you want healing in you, pray for them. Those are the things we know. 
So what I see here in chapter 10 that we'll get into next week, if God's having to do that kind of work in a man that's raising the lame and, and bringing the, excuse me, the Bible says at times that when Peter walked by, Peter's shadow passing upon people made them well. People sitting by the road sick, his very shadow cast upon them, healed them walking by. He had that kind of Holy Spirit power that God had put on him, and he's still a work in progress. Kind of shows us where we're at, don't it? We got a long way to go. So far, my shadows ain't done nothing but made a dark spot. My, 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 my prayers don't even sometimes seem to be getting out of the roof. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever praying like, God, where are you? I, I need you to hear me now. I, I'm, I'm just, we'll, we'll, Lord willing, we'll pick up here at chapter 10 next week and, and see how God teaches Peter and what it is that he's teaching him and how he moves the, the gospel forward into the Gentiles. But I just, I want to finish and camp out on, on that. Take and study that a little bit, if you will, before next week. Look at the end of chapter 9. Look into chapter 10 and see what God's doing for Peter. And you'll see that this story isn't, this isn't about Cornelius. God could have sent anybody to Cornelius that, that was properly prepared to tell him about Christ and, and to baptize him. There's a reason that he went to Peter. And the story's about Peter. And I believe the examples are that the story's about us. We're still a work in progress. God's still... God's still working on us. You know, that, that sermon we preached a little bit back sometimes when you feel like you're on the potter's wheel. Anybody ever feel like you're on the potter's wheel? Feel like God, you know, when it says that he took the clay and it says that he marred the clay. You remember that? He's working on a vessel. It says that he marred the vessel and he made it again another vessel that seemed good to the potter. Know the story, right? And, and we talked about, well, if, if, if you're the potter that's on the wheel and he marred it, that marring of the clay to start all over has got to hurt. If you remember that message a few months back, if you're on the wheel, the potter's got to have both hands on you. So if you're on the wheel, you've got to know you're in good hands. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for loving us beyond imagination. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for this precious book, this blessed holy word, God. I pray you'd help us to learn it, help us to live it, God, that people would see Christ in us and Christ through us in everything that we do, God. I pray you'd help us to reach the lost, that souls might be saved. Help us to add to the kingdom, God. Use us, Father, to, to live your glory in front of people that they might see your goodness in all of us, God. I pray you'd give us a love for the lost a passion for the hurting, God. Help us to see people the way you see them, God. Help us to love people the way you love them. God, help us to love one another the way you've commanded us to, that we might be one in Christ. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Love on somebody.